Welcome, everybody, to the Godcast. Uh, today we'll be talking about Zoroastrianism. I'm Xavier. And I'm Rylan. And uh, let's jump straight into it. Um, so, basically, Zoroastrianism is a very fascinating religion because, for many reasons, one of which is that it's, it's been viewed as the quote-unquote cousin uh, to the Abrahamic religions, and its influence on Christianity, and before that, Second Temple Judaism, then later Islam, is very showing in, in, um, in theological features such as well, the existence of heaven and hell, and um, the existence of a final judgment, and even the character of, or character is probably the incorrect word, but the, the figure of Satan. So, just to start off, talking about Zoroastrianism, um, in its historical context, what's really interesting about that is it originated um, in a, well, we don't really know when it originated. Um, it originated somewhere between 6,000 BCE to 600 BCE with Zoroaster or Zarathustra. Zarathustra being the um, Avestan term because Avestan was the language that they used and Zoroaster being the uh, more Greek uh, rendition of Zarathustra. So, how does Zoroastrianism start? Well, it begins in a way that's kind of archetypal to many religions. In many religions, you'll notice that when a figure bathes in the water or emerges himself, I think it's always a him, in, in, in water, there is some sort of revelation. I'll give you two examples of this, and I'm just pointing this out because I think it's an interesting point of comparative religion. In Christianity, when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends, and God the, and the heavens open up, and God the Father says, this is my son uh, with whom I'm well pleased. In ancient uh, Christian, specifically ancient Jewish Christian um, currents, the there is a uh, a theological term called adoptionism, and uh, this theological term slash uh, concept basically said that actually Jesus was a very he was like a Torah observant Jew to to the maximum. He was so Torah observant that God Himself, and He was just so righteous in general that God Himself adopted Jesus as His son. I mean, even if you don't take that approach to it, which is um, a very slim um, view of it nowadays, we actually did talk to the Shakers, and the Shakers are um, adoptionists. They believe that, that 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 the spirit of Christ, who is embodied in, in the Logos, um, came into Christ the man, at or Jesus the man, rather, at baptism. But assuming that you don't subscribe to that adoptionist viewpoint, it, it, it certainly does have a huge effect on the rest of Jesus' story, that baptism um, in the River Jordan. Now, let's talk about another archetype, or another, uh, I guess, expression of this archetype slash motif throughout religious history. You'll look at uh, Guru Nanak in um, Sikhism. He was the founder of Sikhism. He was the first Sikh guru. What happens is that he is a, he is he is an accountant. He's a very spiritual man, and he's doing the occupation of account of an accountant. He's not super excited with it, but he one day he's out bathing in a river one day, and Waheguru, who is the who is God in Sikhism, is supposed to be the universal God. Um, this God Waheguru uh, sweeps up Guru Nanak into heaven for three days and teaches him his message. So. What's so fascinating about all of these three things, not only that it takes place in a river, not only is that is, is that it, is it that God communicates with them at a river, and this is like the sort of threshold between their um, between their uh, 
uh, secular or not secular, but their kind of um, pre-mission life to their mission life, their mission, their ministry always begins after this river-based event. Not only is it that God communicates, communes or communicates with them, then it's actually that they're all 30. They're all supposed to be age 30 when this happens. You have Zoroaster, who is a 30-year-old man bathing in the river, and lo and behold, Ahura Mazda, the god of Zoroastrianism, or rather, more specifically, an angelic being, communes with him and tells him to speak in spreading his message. In Christianity, it's Jesus, um, and then the Holy Spirit descends upon him when he's, of course, 30 and being baptized in the river. And then in Sikhism, it's that Wahiguru sweeps up Guru Nanak, who's 30 years old, bathing in a river, up to Wahiguru's court and tells him uh, divine wisdom. So it's just an interesting archetype that all appears to begin with Zoroaster. Um, I just had a quick question. So yes. does um, Zoroastrianism predate Sikhism? Uh, yes, Zoroastrianism predates Sikhism and Christianity, but it doesn't necessarily predate um, Judaism. Uh, it's 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 around it's about contemporaneous to Judaism. All right. So you think it also you're you're also arguing that it influenced Sikhism in addition to uh, Christianity. Well, I think the story of I think there's many archetypes throughout religion. Um, you'll notice that uh, Muhammad, for example, he is a a man who doesn't who in the Islamic tradition doesn't have a, he's, he's not, he's neither Jewish nor, gen, uh, nor, uh, nor Christian, but he's searching for some sort of God and he's, he's goes off alone to pray. And then God, uh, or then, uh, the angel Gabriel in Islamic tradition, uh, reveals himself to Muhammad in a cave outside of Medina. So he's this lone man searching for God in the vastness uh, of the world. And you have uh, in, in Jewish uh, thinking and Christian thinking and also in Islamic thinking, um, uh, Abraham, who is also this man who is, is not a Jew, he, but he becomes the father of the Jews later. He's not a Christian. He, he's a merchant who is in a, in a pagan society who... Um, searching for the one creator God of the universe and the one creator God of the universe reveals himself to him. So I think that's, and also Abraham's father was a man named Terak who was a merchant of idols and Muhammad's um, uh, relatives and so forth. They were merchants of idols. Um, but I think it, it's, it's just an archetype that, that, that crops up. Um, I mean, I think that's one of many archetypes that crop up in religions. Um, I think they're influenced by the ones that come before them. Um, to, but to answer your question, just to get straight to the, the heart of it, did Zoroastrianism influence Sikhism? I think Sikhism is very um, monistic. And by monistic, what I, mean, what I mean by that is that there's there's one God and everything kind of like flows from it. Um, kind of like an, an intense view of this would be like um, in, in Neoplatonism, which is a philosophy we discussed earlier on this podcast, in which it's monad and everything, all of creation emanates from monad and stages. And the farther away you get from monad, the, the less real, the less of reality things become, which led Christian theologians to believe that that, that um, uh, evil is the absence of God. But just to get straight to, heart, to the heart of your point, Sikhism is not dualistic. Zoroastrianism is dualistic, good fighting evil. In Sikhism, it's the return to God, not the fight against evil by which God prevails. Any more? Um, uh, I have another question. I just have to like think. Um, so are you saying that also that the archetype, that that specific archetype comes from Zoroastrianism originally? Uh, which archetype? The like age of 30 and like baptizing. 
Well, basically, lots of the life of Zoroaster was written down in the uh, Middle Persian texts. Um, Zoroaster himself wrote down his um, the Gothas, which are hymns to Zoroaster, and they, they tell a li- us a little bit about uh, Zoroaster's life. But a vast majority of um, the Zoroastrian texts were from, um, or the texts on Zoroaster's life, specifically his biographies, came about during the Middle Persian uh, Zoroastrian period, which was when uh, Persia was dominated uh, by by the uh, Islamic dynasties. So I think that um, some similarities between Zoroaster and uh, Muhammad and um, Jesus and other Abrahamic uh, prophets um, do uh, are the result of like cross-cultural influence. So it's, it's possible that Zoroaster's life is influenced by is told with the with the lens of the lives of other prophets because of that Islamic influence in Persia. All right, and how did Zoroastri- Zoroastrianism progress through history, and is it still practiced today? And if so, where? Uh, yes, Zoroastrianism is still practiced today. It's practiced in some parts of the United States. There's in fact a Zoroastrian uh, society here in Washington State that I've emailed multiple times, and they haven't gotten back to me, which is very unfortunate. But to get to your question, um, basically. There's Zoroastrianism um, most predominantly in uh, India and Iran. The Parsis were a group of Zoroastrians who fled from the Islamic uh, persecution that um, that entailed when uh, Iran was conquered by the um, when Iran was conquered by the uh, first Islamic Caliphate and the Zoroastrian society and Zoroastrian culture and Zoroastrian religion was uh, brutally suppressed was brutally suppressed with the destruction of fire temples, uh, and over them mosques were built, and the destruction of Zoroastrian libraries. And, and uh, it was just a complete um, religious, it was a complete destruction of an entire religion, and all of uh, pre-Islamic Persian society as, as, as one knew it. And the Parsis uh, fled to India. And what happened there was that they... Um, they became very, um, very insular. They didn't allow people to um, uh, marry into their group, and people marry outside of it. Um, you'll notice that that what happens a lot with with religions that are that are unfortunately persecuted is that they'll become uh, very insular to protect their to protect themselves. I th- I think that that's that's the reason. Then it becomes tradition. Uh, you'll notice, for example, Judaism um, was you know heavily persecuted during during the Middle Ages, um, and um, basically. And also before then, under under Roman occupation, but before um, the rise of Christianity, um, there was Jewish missionizing. The Jews would 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 um, sometimes venture out into Gentile society and attempt to convert Gentiles to their religion. But um, missionary activity in Judaism stopped when um, uh, various uh, Christians, um, unfortunately persecuted the Jews, so um, it became more insular. Um, for example, the Druze faith, D-R-U-Z-E, is an ethno-religious society that became closed off to the public um, in the 11th century, um, only about only several decades after it was created, which was uh, catalyzed by um, the persecution that happened uh, to them under the Fatimid Caliphate. But just to really um, answer your question, um, Today, there are, in fact, Zoroastrians still practiced. Zoroastrianism is, is, in fact, still practiced around the world in India and Iran and the United States. Um, to talk about Zoroastrianism in history, where would you like to begin? Um, why don't we just uh, 
why don't you tell me a little bit about how it progressed from the beginning uh, like to the present, just like a quick like entire history. All right, I'll do a, I'll do a quick summarization, and then we'll talk about some key periods here, and then we'll get into the theology. I think first, I'll just quickly talk about the life of Zarathustra. Zarathustra was a man born of a noble priestly class in um, pre-Achaemenid um, uh, Iran. Well, probably not Iran, actually. Iran, in the sense, we could talk about greater Iran, but probably in the Afghanistan area. Uh, Zarathustra... His name might mean something might have something to do with 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 camels like a camel herder or something like that from an etymological standpoint is what people can infer um zarathustra began his mission at age 30 um with that uh river event um in which um ahura mazda or an angel from ahura mazda uh, communicated with him and told him to spread his message uh, uh, uh zoroaster was appalled prior to this by the fact that there was incredible ritualism and polytheism amongst the uh, amongst the pre-Zoroastrian Iranian peoples, um, they were the priests were very ritualistic. They didn't have much. They didn't have much in common with the, with the people. Um, they were very like elitist, so to speak, and they um, worshipped a variety of gods. Um, what Zarathustra's message preached was basically henotheism, but henotheism and dualism. And that henotheism throughout the course of history, long after his death, began to evolve into a sort of monotheism. But basically, there were a variety of spirits called the Emesha Spenta. And I'll just quickly dwell on this theology a bit because it pertains to the history, but we'll, we'll go into it a little bit later. There were a variety of beings called Amesha Spentas, like spirits, and they were, they were all worshipped, and they all related to parts of life, but Zarathustra only wanted Ahura Mazda to be worshipped, although possibly uh, Mitra, the sun god, was also permitted to be worshipped as per the Gathas, because it, it states in the Gathas that Mitra um, also uh, deserves worship, or that worship may also be allotted to him. But um, Zarathustra taught a dualistic um, uh, message that it was Ahura Mazda versus Anger Manu. Ahura Mazda, um, who is the uh, god of and the embodiment of uh, goodness, and uh, um, the and uh, Anger Manu, who is the embodiment of evil. And we'll talk about talk about that a little bit more in depth later. But the message existed in. Um, in Iran for, for a while. It slowly spread after Zarathustra's death. Uh, Zarathustra, according to the Middle Persian text, was um, slain near a fire temple. The way that Zarathustra in his lifetime spread the message, according to the Middle Persian text, was kind of by means of holy war. Um, he, he became a patron of the King Vishtaspa. And the King Vishtaspa, um, according to the Middle Persian texts, had a horse who um, had a wounded leg. Zarathustra healed the leg of the horse, and King Vishtaspa allowed Zarathustra, or became Zarathustra's patron. He also impressed the king with uh, make, by making a ball of fire, which won his support as well. Um, but King Vishtaspa went on, he was a king, and he was expanding his empire. So Zarathustra kind of turned a blind eye to the conquering, um, as the conquering resulted in Zarathustra getting more converts from the people who Vishta, King Vishtaspa uh, conquered to add to his empire or his kingdom, might be more accurate. Um, Zarathustra was believed to have been slain at a fire temple, um, near the, obviously near the end of his life. Um, and he, um, he, was, he, he was killed, um, but his message continued to spread. Let's talk a little bit about some of the, uh, 
some of, some of the some of its effects in in, in uh, Persia and antiquity. Basically, what you had was you had the Achaemenid Empire that came from the Median Kingdom, uh, because Cyrus the Great's mother was a Mede. Uh, Cyrus the Great was a was the was the father of the Achaemenid Empire and basically the father of of of, uh, of, of Persia of the Persians. Um, Cyrus expanded his empire, the Achaemenid Empire, to become the largest empire in human in human history by world population, encompassing forty four percent of the world's population. Um, However, as, as um, Cyrus and Darius and Xerxes, great Persian kings of the Achaemenid Empire, uh, well, there's nothing to necessarily suggest that they are Zoroastrian, especially Cyrus and Darius, although um, Xerxes may have been. But the point is um, that Zoroaster's religion continued to spread, and by the time of the, um, and by the time of the, the end of the Cayman Empire, or at least by the time one got to the got to the Parthian Empire, it was a, which was about two hundred, which took place in about, um, which was formed in about two hundred BCE. Uh, Zoroastrianism was up and was up in full swing. It had gr- it had gradually grown and gained more and more influence, um, and, and was a major religion. Um, uh, beginning in the Achaemenid Empire, continuing to grow in the Seleucid Empire, which was a very Hellenized Persian Empire as a result of Hellenism that spread from Alexander, and then into the Parthian Empire, it became very large. It had very large influence. Then around 200 AD or 200 CE, whichever one you prefer, the Sasanian Empire made Zoroastrianism its official religion and imposed state orthodoxy. Um, by, by that time, Zoroastrianism uh, was basically the official religion of was the official religion of the Persian Empire um, from around the year 200 to around um, the 7th century when uh, Persia, when the Sasanian Empire was conquered by the first Islamic Caliphate, resulting in massive persecution, as I've described earlier, uh, resulting in the the Parsis leaving to India and resulting in Zoroastrianism dying in Iran, sadly, in, in many cases, there are, of course, still Iranians who practice Zoroastrianism today, but it was no longer a majority religion, and it um, disseminated throughout the world in smaller diaspora communities. Um, I'm just curious, what, what do you think would have happened if the Islamic caliphates didn't suppress Zoroastrianism so much? Like, do you think it would have been, it would have grown into like a worldwide uh, religion, like with millions of followers? That's a great question. I would say that a would it have grown into would it have grown into a major world religion? I think it would have been a um, it would still be a source of pride for the Iranian people. It would still be a um, it would still be the majority religion in Iran, um, possibly unless there was Christian uh, conversion or or maybe Muslim conversion by missionaries uh, or something like that. But I, I would think um, that either Zoroastrianism would remain for a while or, um, well, it's not, a mis- it's, it's not a missionary religion. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just, that, that's probably the best answer to the question. It's not a missionary religion, so it's possible that it would have maybe declined because of the fact that mis- missionary religions like Christianity could have, and also Manichaeism too, could have um, uh, supplanted it because of their strong missionary tradition. So, but if it didn't, if it didn't um, decline as a result of missionaries, I don't think it would spread 
very much outside of Iran because it itself is not a missionary religion. I think it would have been a powerful religion inside of Iran and contribute immensely to Iranian culture, but I don't think we'd see it crop up anywhere else outside of the um, outside of maybe Af- outside of Afghanistan and Iran and um, some adjacent lands. All right, and could you go in a little bit more depth on the uh, dualism part of the religion, like the the god of good and the god of evil? Yes, so in Zoroastrianism, it's been described as having a dualistic cosmology, being dualist, dualistic cosmology in the sense that um, the way the universe is laid out is the good god versus the bad god, and it's been described as having a monotheistic eschatology. You can perhaps describe it as ditheism, as in that there's two gods, but it's better to think of them as spirits as opposed to gods. There are the Amesha Spenta, and the Amesha Spenta represent like various parts of um, various parts of, of life and attributes and so forth. Ahura Mazda means wise lord, so Ahura Mazda is the quote-unquote god or quote-unquote spirit of wisdom. Uh, Ahura Mazda has archangels, that might, the term archangel might be a more Islamic uh, term because I don't, I don't know if there's a whole lot of evidence to suggest that um, angels would have existed in pre-Islamic uh, Iran or those beings would have been thought of as angels in pre-Islamic Iran. But the point is that there were a variety of Ameshaspenta, i.e. spirits, and Ahura Mazda was the highest of these spirits. And there was the opposer of Uhura Mazda, and that would be Ingramanyu. Ingramanyu um, was the kind of the epitome of and was the sort of controller of um, Druj, D-R-U-J, whereas uh, Uhura Mazda had Asha, A-S-H-A. What are Druj and Asha? Asha is, is like, is order, okay? Asha is order. Order in the sense that everything exists not not by taking advantage of something else, but it, it exists in perfect harmony. Okay, it, it's a very fascinating philosoph. I think I think I think in many ways Zoroaster was was like a, was a philosopher, or at least you could interpret him as a philosopher. Historically, he was probably more of a religious leader, um, but it is possible that he was um, a, a philosopher. Who knows? But in, in and I'll get into that in maybe in a bit. But about his philosophy, but. Um, Basically, the point is that there is Druj, which is this disorder, and there's Asha, which is order, and Druj and Asha are fighting one another, and it is your goal as a human being to make sure that your works, your good works, outweigh your evil works, so that you can pass what's called the Bridge of the Requiter, which is a bridge in the afterlife. It's a bridge that you walk over. Below it is the fires of hell. Hell in Zoroastrian thought is temporary, and above it is or across from the bridge, is heaven. And uh, what happens is that if your good works outweigh your bad works or bad deeds, a beautiful maiden will appear on that bridge to, to, to usher you across to paradise. If that's not the case and you've committed more bad, then you've done more bad than good, then a, like, a, like an old woman uh, kind of scares you and then you fall into fall into hell that that's that might not be the most accurate description of it but 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 it's 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 basically that this like old woman approaches you and then you like she kind of 
scares you sort of, then yeah, fall, fall into hell. So, um, but just to really get back, just to just really hone in on this point of dualism, it's 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 one of the reasons I think it was so appealing, was because you yourself are active in that battle between good and evil. Um, do you think? I was just thinking. I'm kind of thinking out loud now. Do you think? Is it Asha and Druge? Do you think? Um, yes. Do you think Asha could be the the beautiful maiden? Could be like the embodiment of Asha, and then the embodiment of Druge is like the old woman. Um, that's well, that, that that that's a very interesting thought. I would say that probably, um, in terms of embodiments of those two uh, forces or concepts in general, I would say that that Ahura Mazda is like the embodiment of Asha. And Angermani is like the embodiment of Druge. Um, but this whole concept of Amesha Spenta is very interesting because the Amesha Spentas are these like about seven uh, divine beings. And, the, and the, the most divine of them, the one that is deserving of worship, is Ahura Mazda. And the evil one is the one that's not in the Amesha Spenta. The evil one is is um, is Angermani. But those in Amesha Spenta, just to talk about them for a, for a little bit, are... Um, as follows, there's, uh, I'll, only name a f- I'll only name some of them, uh, but there is Zervan. Zervan is the god of time, or the spirit of time. Um, some have postulated that there was a Zervanist sect, a sect of Zoroastrians, um, or people who are inspired by Zoroastrianism, who believe that Zervan gave birth to two opposing beings, Ahura Mazda and Agarmanyu. And they basically viewed Zervan as sort of the highest being who gave birth to these two opposing forces, two opposing beings. Um, so there's Zervan. But mainstream Zoroastrians didn't believe this. Secondly, let's talk about uh, Mitra. Mitra is the sun god, her sun spirit. And Mithraism, which was a, which was a mystery religion in the Roman Empire, when, and it was, it was immensely popular and it had shared many similarities with Christianity, Mithraism was basically an intensely Hellenized, um, an intensely Hellenized, I don't want to even say version of Zoroastrianism, but basically what it was, was it was a, 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 it was a, it was a quote unquote cult, cult in the ancient sense around um, Mithras, who was the incredibly Romanized version of Mitra, although the similarities are very vague because it seems like the people who created Mithraism kind of just used Zoroastrianism as a jumping off point and they didn't really, but then they didn't, but it, it's, it's hard to tell how much of the theology they actually took. Uh, let's talk thirdly and lastly in terms of the Spenta about uh, Anahita. Anahita is like perhaps the archetypal goddess in all the religions that you see. Um, like, for example, you have um, Aphrodite, uh, you have Inanna, you have Ishtar. She's like the um, she's like the goddess of of love. That's that that would be Anahita, and uh, she was also the goddess of prostitutes as well. Um, and uh, I think we'll I think we'll leave it at that there for the Meshuspenta. All right. Is there anything we're missing that I can ask about? Okay, well, why don't you ask about the? Um, why don't you ask about Zoroaster as a philosopher? Okay. Um, and how would you say Zoroaster was as a philosopher? Well, um, you could certainly look at Zoroaster as a religious leader. You could also look him at look him as a philosopher, as Nietzsche did. Uh, Nietzsche made Zarathustra his mouthpiece in his book, uh, Thus, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Uh, Zoroaster, a religious leader, philosopher, or otherwise, um, 
preached a very interesting philosophy in his religion, being that unlike beforehand, unlike all previous views, society was not merely a, a mishmash of tribal alliances. You were an individual human being, whether or not you belonged to this tribe or that tribe, and that free will itself existed. Zarathustra taught that free will was a, was a given, and that you had to take individual responsibility for your actions, and, and that he really placed a lot of emphasis on individuality. Not individuality in a crazy, rampant way, but individual responsibility. So that is one facet of him as a philosopher I would like to highlight. All right. How long have we been going for? Um, probably not super long. You can talk about, um, maybe you can talk about his influence on other religions. Oh, right, right, yeah. Let's do that. And uh, what did you say, the final judgment? Yes. You're talking about? Okay. Yes. Um, and how did Zoroastrianism influence other religions, especially in relation to uh, like a final judgment day? Yes. So in Zoroastrianism, um, the way that it influenced, I'll, I'll begin from this, from his, at this, I'll look at this from a historical standpoint. Cyrus the Great freed the Jews um, from the Babylonian exile. This was in, of course, the BCE era. Now, what did the what what happened when there was a cross cultural contact between Zoroastrians and Jews between the Magi's who were the Zoroastrian priests and the Jewish rabbis? Well, we enter we enter a crossroads, a or a rather a boundary, a threshold between pre-exilic Judaism and and post-exilic or Second Temple Judaism. Second Temple Judaism lasted from the when the Jews were freed from the Babylonian exile, exile all the way until 70 CE when the temple was desecrated and destroyed by the Romans. The importance here was that beforehand in, in, in pre-exilic Judaism, which gave us the Torah or gave, perhaps well, if you're religious, it gave you. If you're if you're Jewish, um, it it certainly gave you the Torah. And then if you're Christian or or another faith, um, you can trace your lineage back to that. Um, your spiritual lineage back to that, I I, I suppose. But, um, the the Torah really didn't doesn't put too much of an emphasis on afterlife. Um, the pre-exilic texts, um, uh, alongside it, don't really view he- heaven and hell as existent. Um, simply put. Everyone who's bad and good simply goes to one place called Sheol, the house of dust, and they just disintegrate into nothingness, good or bad. However, once the Jews were freed from from Babylon, they took ideas from the, or they were influenced by the Magi, who, who they'd talked with, who they'd talked talked with about um, about religion. They'd talked about Judaism and Zoroastrianism with them, and. The, they started to, to to believe that Eden would would eventually be restored, and that there would be a final judgment that would place the good in heaven and the wicked in hell, or according to some people, just completely annihilate the wicked in what was called the second death. Basically, what happened was you had pre-exilic Judaism go from 
all the wicked and all the good go to the same place and disintegrate into 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 dust. The phrase from ashes and ashes and dust to dust, that comes from pre-exilic Judaism. Whereas you had in post-exilic Second Temple Judaism, you had a belief that that um, that everybody would be sorted into good or bad categories and punished or rewarded accordingly. What was so influential about let's let's talk about Christianity now. Christianity emerged in Second Temple Judaism. However, in Second Temple Judaism, there was a there were many apocalyptic movements. You can take, for example, the Essenes, who deserve their entire own episode. The Essenes were absolutely fascinating. Some scholars have even argued that they, well, just to talk about the Essenes, they lived. They, they were, it's likely the Essenes who were the who were the inhabitants of the Qumran complex. They left, um, they left the Jewish people and humanity the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are fascinating fascinating documents and the Essenes were a communalist sectarian and apocalyptic group who actually may have been preparing to physically fight the Romans there's evidence on a on a map that they may have been planning out a like like a literal battle plan like like um like where, where to stand, where to dig the latrines, where to um, bury the dead, and so forth. And they also may have been stockpiling weapons to fight the Romans with. But the Essenes were an apocalyptic doomsday sect who were who had broken off from the Pharisees um, because the Pharisees to them were too were too uh, liberal, and the Pharisees were more liberal in comparison to the Sadducees. The Sadducees, interestingly enough, were much more pre-exilic in their theology. They believed, they didn't believe in an afterlife, and they, they really weren't too convinced of a final judgment, whereas the Pharisees did. Uh, Jesus has many similarities to the arguments of Pharisees, or at least liberal Pharisees. Now, the point was that there were many apocalypticists at this time, such as the Essenes and, and Jesus and, and Paul, who were convinced that the world would soon come to an end, and you'd see that final judgment from Zoroastrianism, except now, uh, now reprinted in a Jewish context. And this very much influenced uh, the Christian religion, which began, out, which began as an apocalyptic movement. The book of Revelation, which I'm studying right now, I'm reading a book on it. It's very, very fascinating. It's, it's a great book it's, so far. It's called uh, Revelations by Elaine Pagels, who is an excellent scholar of early Christianity. Uh, uh, she's known for her work in Gnosticism. And I'm reading the book right now, and it's very fascinating because it's written, was written, well, the book of Revelation was written by a man named John of Patmos. Uh, he claims to be, he claims to be named John, although it's possible that he was, that as many other uh, prophets did, he was sort of writing in the spirit of, of, uh, of, a, of a disciple. Uh, sometimes ancient Jewish and ancient Christian prophets would write in the spirit of a, of a pre-existing Jewish prophet or pre-existing Jewish spirit. Or it's possible that his name, or I'm sorry, not pre-existing Jewish spirit, pre-existing Jewish prophet, or pre-existing uh, Christian disciple, or something of that sort. But John of Patmos was a was a Jewish Christian who maybe, maybe was John, maybe that was an allusion to something else. But he was expecting the world to end, and he was a devout Jewish Christian, and he believed that the signs of the times all around them, the potentially even Pompeii itself might be referenced in there, but the uh, seven emperors of the Julio-Claudian dynasty, they were the seven seven heads of the uh, on, on the beast, and he believed that Rome itself was was this um, evil empire that was um, that was existing near the end of end of the days, and he believed that the destruction of the second temple was a sign for the end, and he believed that um, 
that many other things showed that the world was soon to end. But this is, I'm just saying this to, so that you, you understand this um, view that, that, that the Second Temple Jews and early Christians took, which was that they believed that there would be this final judgment, something characteristic of Zoroastrianism. In Islam, Islam takes, or Islam has many elements um, that it shares with Christianity and Judaism, uh, such as heaven and hell, which you see is a which you see um, Zoroastrianism directly relates to that, as well as um, a, a, a last judgment, a final judgment. In Zoroastrianism, uh, one's good works, I'm sorry, in, in, in Islam, one's good works must outweigh one's bad works, which is directly characteristic of a Zoroastrian soteriology. All right, is there anything else you want to um, We could talk about... What time are we at? Do you want to? Yeah. Do you want? Do you want to stop here and say like? Yeah. Do you want to record? Part well, it's up of, to you. Do you like, want to record part of the Islam episode today, or what do you think? I have to be back at like two thirty. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Don't worry. No, no. That makes that was absolutely perfect sense. Um. Let's uh. Let's let's um. We can keep going more. though. Till yeah. Until two thirty. Let's do that. Okay. All right. Uh, what questions do you want to ask? You could ask. Um, um. Is there anything else that I can just ask questions, or if there's anything you sure. want to cover that we haven't covered yet? Could talk about um. I think, I think that's probably about it. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Right. You want to close it? Or? Yeah. All righty, everybody. Um, thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope you found it informative. We found it very interesting. Uh, make sure to check out our YouTube channel, linked down in the description. And uh, we plan on posting there a lot more uh, during this summer. Uh, furthermore, uh, stay tuned for a planned episode with the United Methodist Church. And uh, make sure to check out our other episodes. And with that being said, uh, this is Xavier. This is Rylan. You have been listening to the Godcast, and stay tuned.